Veronica is going to read the scripture reading for today, uh, Psalm 27. Psalm 27, 1 through 5 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One last thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, the gaze of the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in his shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, Well, today we're uh, continuing in our series called God and the Good Life. And it is a series on the transcendentals, the good, the beautiful, and the true. Uh, These are the three virtues that philosophers say uh, impact all of us. And Christians have noticed that these are all true of God, that they impact all of us, we, we would say, because they're attributes of God. Today we're talking about beauty, uh, the subject of beauty. So um, before we begin, um, I had a uh, weird accident and cut my eye. So if you notice this, that's what that is. Um, it's a long story, but uh, a laptop hit, fell and hit me in the eye, um, all, all just of my own doing. So here I am, illustration of beauty. It's all going to come together. I want to channel my inner uh, TLC left eye for you today. Uh, And um, so three things today. Beauty, why do we need it? Three things, why do we need, uh, why we can't live without beauty? What is it and how beauty transforms us is what I want to talk today. And um, Psalm 27, uh, which Veronica beautifully read. Uh, If we have that back on the screen, the next slide. Um, Why can't we live without it? I've highlighted in yellow the kind of the negative situations going on in this passage. Um, whom shall I fear? There's a sense of fear. Um, an army, though an army besiege me, the war break out against me for the day of trouble. Uh, but yet in there, verse four, in this situation, in this middle of horror, in the middle of terror, in the middle of distress, um, David says that one thing I ask from the Lord, this is this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, something strange in the way we are constructed that we're all drawn towards beauty. Now, beauty can be subjective, right? Um, Sometimes beauty is overt, like sunrises and sunsets and waterfalls and rivers and bodies of water and mountains. Um, but but there's there's the sense of like, I don't know about you, but there's like pictures of nature that I can just even see, like photographs that just take my breath away. They're just so beautiful. Um, but here, there, there's a sense of like understanding why we need it. And um, David needed it in that sense that he was experiencing distress. He was experiencing panic. Beauty is something that we need in the midst of our distress, in the midst of our panic, it soothes us, it comforts us, it, it regulates us, it calms us down. When we're restless, it helps us be at rest. It's, it's essential for the soul, if you will. Uh, it, uh, there's a famous artist named Makatu Fujimura, and he writes a book about art. 
and art making. And Makato Fujimura opens his book with a story about um, when he, when he, they were, him and his wife were poor. He, he and his partner were poor and they had just basically enough money to get basic necessities. And he remembers coming home from the grocery store and uh, his wife coming home from the grocery store and he's struggling with how much money they have and if they're going to have enough. And she buys this big array of flowers he says, what are you doing? Like, why are you buying these flowers? Why? We, we, we barely have enough to get by um, to feed, our, feed ourselves. And she replied, we need to feed our souls too. You see, flowers and beauty and all of its variations are not frills. They are essential to a life of wholeness just as much as bread. And um, so, so we need it. We desperately need it. Secondly, what is it? What is it? Uh, I, I would say uh, three, th- three things I want to talk about in terms of what is it. The first thing is it ceases you. The second is, is it captivates you. And the third thing is it chooses you. It ceases you. Uh, so, so as I, I, I've been studying and reading a lot about this, there's a philosopher I like named Brian Chol Han. He's a Korean philosopher in Germany. And he wrote a book called Saving Beauty. And he contrasts Jeff Kuhn who, by the way, created the bean, and he, he contrasts his art, which is very vibrant and aesthetic and dopamine hits and just playful and loud, and, um, and he contrasts that to, like, what he says is that we mistaken beauty with pleasure. He says what deserves the label beautiful sometimes we think is supposed to please us. He says, but the, the, the beautiful thing, sometimes it... it it doesn't just ease the nerve. Sometimes it shocks us and demands something from us. And so I would broaden that category, and I think that that's what Jesus' beauty did. You know, Jesus' beauty, Isaiah 53, it says that he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him he, he, it says that there was nothing lovely about his appearance. In the very first verse, it says that he had no beauty or majesty. This was all predicting Jesus' coming. And, and, and that not only that, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So I want to say that um, when we think about beauty, we must think deeper than just the dopamine hits, the, the aha moments, right? Like, like what Brian Chulhan recognizes is that kind of art is almost like, um, it, it, it's almost like a pornification of beauty. It's zooming in and has no context. It's void of negative, anything negative. And what I love about the Christian story is it includes the negative in it. It, it includes the why we need beauty in the first place in the story, right? That we all understand that it's kind of weird, right? It, sometimes it can feel, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, frivolous or, or trite to talk about, you know, pastor up here, why don't you go look at flowers today while people are dying due to gun violence, right? Like it can feel trite to be like, the application is go enjoy something Gorgeous. Yeah, so, so there's a sense of like what beauty does is it, it, it captivates us, it ceases us, but then it transforms us so that we can go in and, and, and go in and um, make beauty wherever it's not found as well. So um, it, it ceases you. It, stopped, it stops you and arrests you, first of all. 
That's what happened often in the Bible. These people would seek the face of God, experience the reality of God's presence, and it would be, a, it would be satisfying. It would bring value, right? And so when you're restless, what do you do? What do you do when you're restless? What are some things you might do? You might listen to music. Yes, you're recharging your batteries and you're regulating yourself. You're calming the panic, right? Um, in the disciples when Jesus died, I don't know if you remember that story, but they were afraid and they locked themselves in the upper room, not knowing what to do. They were in their panic room. And when they're in their panic room, Jesus enters in mysteriously um, through the door, through the locked door, right? And says, peace be with you. That's beauty. It, it shocks them. It captivates them and it chooses them. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you to... Um, to engage with these these things. Another example is Van Gogh's Starry Night. You know, Van Gogh's Starry Night. Now, is Van Gogh's Starry Night a literal picture of stars? No. What is he trying to communicate to us? What is he doing? He's saying, wake up. Every night is a night filled with stars, and you're missing it. There's a heaven filled with majestic beauty. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. And that's what's happening with the crucifixion of Jesus. This hideous, disguised under disfigurement of crucifixion and death is somehow yet the clearest revelation of God, taking the symbol of a death chamber and turning it into a symbol of life for everyone. Jesus and God are saying, pay attention, pay attention. Um. And the other thing I want to say about, about beauty with, with, in terms of captivating you is that ultimately this is what is true of God. Beauty is the truest and deepest attribute of God. It is the truest and deepest attribute of God more than any other. The beauty of God is not just like one more attribute of God next to the others. Um, you can't really put it next to his wisdom, his holiness, his love, and all of that's like... like to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, you know, endlessly desirable and more satisfying than any other kind of brilliance of God's attributes. And what that should do for us is it should help us have this relationship where God captivates us and chooses us and we respond and serve him and love and, and go and encounter people in this world and find them beautiful as well. Um, for example, uh, one thing I think about this is like, if, have you ever gone journaled a lot and like gone back and looked at your old journals? I, I go back and look through some of my old journals sometimes and I look at the ones in college and my 20s and I would often pray this prayer, God, use me. And I'm like, that's interesting. Why do I always keep praying for God to use me? And it helped me think about this, that a lot of times that's what we do in faith, we have a utilitarian relationship with God, like an employer-boss relationship with God. God, use me. Like, let me work for you. Let me do something for you, right? Um, you see a lot of people, religious people, use God to get things. I might not have been doing it subconsciously, but maybe I was, I was using God to get some kind of outcome for myself, Use me so I can fill in the blank. Use me so I can have status. Use me so I can be known. Use me so I can be loved. Religious people obey God to get things. They serve God to get things. But what if, what if Christians serve God just to get God? Like, what if the end goal is like just to have you and to be captivated by you and to have 
presence with you, to be ceased by you, to be stopped and arrested by you? What if, because God is the good thing, he's the ultimate thing, he's the ultimate beauty and the ultimate excellence. And so, um, so those are just real quick three things of what I think about with like, what is beauty? He ceases you. It ceases you, it captivates you, it chooses you. Um, and, and, and I love people who just naturally find beauty. Um, for me, sometimes it feels like a discipline. Other seasons, it feels like a natural desire. Um, I was with Jeff the other day. Jeff and Esther's about to have their last, is this your last Sunday? Next Sunday, last Sunday here, everybody. We're going to miss them so much. But Jeff and I were together, and Jeff stopped, and he, he smelled these roses. He takes it in, and I love when people do that. It like... It's amazing because it, it's like a good conviction whenever it happens for me. When someone does that, it's like, man, like I feel convicted, like in a good way. Like I, I love that. That picture, not only is he finding something beautiful, but he is doing a moral act to creation and helping convict me at the same time of how I, he, he, he was ceased and he was captivated and then I was ceased. And then I was captivated by his act. That's what beauty does. It continues, it spreads. And what I'm getting out of beauty is not just creation. I'm talking about moral beauty. What does it look like to go and see moral beauty that moves you, that chases you down, that, that, that transforms you? So last question is like, what do we do when this like well of wonder runs dry? What do we do when like, how, do, how does this transform us? How does beauty actually transform us? How can I get in that place? Well, the psalmist says that we must gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And he says, and seek God in the temple. You got to go to the temple, David says. Now, I understand that now God's presence is everywhere, right? Like, I read this and we know David was an ancient person. And we knew that there was something happening in that temple and we know that you can experience God's beauty everywhere. That's true. Look at oceans, look at the mountains, look at creation. But something would happen in that temple that was unique that you can't get anywhere else. You see, in that temple, they would take, in the Holy of Holies, they would take an animal and they would come in and they would slaughter this animal as a sacrifice, a burnt offering on the altar to God. And this sacrificial act would somehow in their ancient minds be beautiful. It was something unique, a moral beauty too as well. Redemption, sacrificial love. This is what Brian Holchan was getting at about there needing to be a negative. This is what Isaiah 53 is talking about, about Jesus being the punishment upon us. And then Philippians 2, this is what Philippians 2 is talking about, that even though Jesus was the son of God and equal with God, he was glorious as the father. He was as beautiful as the father and he emptied himself of all of his glory, all of his beauty. He has no beauty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance to make us desire him. And yet Jesus Christ became unbeautiful on the cross. He was, he was, he was not an attractive person. And yet there were many that appalled by him. He was marred. He was disfigured. The son of God, who was the fairest of all, lost all of his beauty and was beaten to a pulp. He became disfigured and distorted to give this radical display of love. It, he, he's becoming the curse for us so that we now in God's eyes can be beautiful. 
that when we look upon him and believe in him, we literally are beautiful as we, in the eyes of God, because of our beholding him. Your sins are taken away in God's eyes. Jesus has lost all of his beauty so that we have been impacted by this disfigurement of the curse and can become absolutely morally beautiful in God's eyes through this sacrificial love. Nothing can be more beautiful than this moral sacrificial beauty. And when you see Jesus doing that for you, like how does that hit you? How does that hit you that he does that for you? Do you find it attractive? Lastly, do, do you find, you can find it satisfying. All, you can be put at rest. Like we talked about, right, in the beginning? Why do we need beauty? You don't have to prove yourself anymore. And as you get older, as we lose our beauty, as we do, especially our left eyes, right? We lose our beauty from, from our youth and from our childhood, and we get older and older. You know what? You used to strive for excellence. Now you're not as good as you used to be. You're not as performing like you used to. Jesus says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in God and God alone, gloriously complete. That when you begin to see Jesus as the ultimate beauty, it changes you. It transforms you. Okay, so that's cool. But what about practically? What about practically? Um, I'm not always the best. At, I, I, I struggle sometimes to just say, here's what you should go do. Um, so first I want to share a little bit about Ratatouille. Ratatouille. You guys seen Ratatouille? Such a good movie, right? Ratatouille. It's a great movie. At its core, it's about a rat, Remy, wanting to be a master craftsman chef. And it contains a moving bit about connection with food and people. And Remy is cooking up his famous ratatouille meal. And uh, he's, there's a famous cr- critic named Antoine. Antoine comes into the restaurant to test, uh, to, to, to critique the restaurant. He's known to being harsh. Here's a picture of him. He's critical. Look at his haughty eyebrow. Well, you can't see it, but he has haughty eyebrows, large teeth. He's basically like, his typewriter is like a skull, and his body is shaped like a coffin. So he's, he's very vampiric looking. Like he's, the, he's like death embodied, basically. And he goes into this restaurant, and he's served this dish made by Remy. And um, our visual audio, sometimes it's hard to play movies, so I thought about playing this scene for you. But he takes a bite of the ratatouille, right? What happens? Basically, he's, his, his life of judgment, he remembers a time when he was no longer this harsh critic. He, becomes, he, he, he takes this, this food in and he realizes it's so simple. It's not pretentious. It's far from classes. It's attentively crafted. And he's shocked. In the, in the scene, his pen that writes critical reviews drops to the floor. And he's able to see places and people he once judged before for their beauty. He's disarmed. He's reawakened to beauty in, in, in people and in, 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 in places he's always judged before, and he's completely changed. And spoiler alert, him and Remy make a restaurant. They make a restaurant, and then he begins to see all these people that have been marginalized, like animals. <laughs> He begins, to, he begins to see all of the way he's judged people. He sees all these people who've, who've been hurt by him. You know, this remind, he, he has a conversion. It reminds me of Apostle Paul. 
Apostle Paul in Acts 9. You know, Apostle Paul in Acts 9, he, he, here's the story. Meanwhile, Saul, who was, first, who was before his name was Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, much like Antoine. I'm going to destroy these restaurants. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Um, you see, Saul, Saul here sees this this experience of light, it ceases him. Later, it talks about how it transforms him. It says something like scale falls off of his eyes. He begins to awaken and he becomes a follower of, of Jesus. And the, the crazy thing is, is yeah, Paul's conversion, he, he could have said like, you know what? It was just a bright day outside, <laughs> that light. I just got really lightheaded. I didn't have enough to drink and I fell asleep. You know, we could, we could justify, like we can experience beauty and try to rationalize it, but that's not what happens here. Convert, in most of us, um, I don't know if you'll have this kind of conversion. I don't know if you'll have a mystical experience like Paul. I hope that you do at some point, but maybe not. We might not have experiences like this or Antoine's, but what, how do we in the daily rhythms of life slow down and have habits to have attention to beauty What if awareness of beauty is a way of expressing love to our creator and in turn receiving God's love to us? I had a little mini mini conversion in in a way like this. I, um, and I'm going to, I'm kind of running out of time. I'm going to close, but I was on social media and a social media influencer was like, Hey, I've got, I won this bet and I'm going to give away a thousand dollars. Tell me why you need it or what you want to do with it. So he won the bet near Northwestern. I thought, oh, Northwestern, I have a friend who gives private loans to North Chicago is this predominantly African-American community surrounded by a military base and right next to the wealthiest neighborhood of all of Chicagoland. And it is the poorest area. Literally, Burger Kings are turned into gambling slots, uh, machine, slot machine vent- uh, venues. This place, I got to tour it and see it, and I just kind of realized, wow, I'm so focused on the city. I didn't realize there was something like this in the suburbs. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I I told the the guy who who was giving away the money, I've got a guy who helps people in need with mortgages that can't afford, they can't get loans from banks. He gives private lending for mortgages. So I'll I'll give that to somebody in need. So I win the $1,000. He gives me $1,000. So I reached out to my friend, and he says, actually, we have our first you know, like white veteran that, that he's paralyzed and uh, that we're serving. I was kind of like, oh man, come on. Are you serious? Like, I wanted to help out people. I'm, I want to help, right? <laughs> like, I, I care a little bit more about racial justice than helping veterans. But so I was a little bummed at first, but then I was shocked. He says he's actually, he, he wants to start a beekeeping business. Well, my granddad was a veteran and my granddad in his old age was a beekeeper. So for me now, what was once like, 
ugh, now is like this beautiful story unfolding. And the scales started coming off my eyes to go, you know, maybe I've been kind of like biased towards veterans. Maybe I've, I've kind of lumped them into this kind of cause of God and country, and I haven't really appreciated their sacrifice or their service. And I began to get just strangely warm towards what, what they've done for our country. And you see, what, whether you're Antoine, whether you're Paul, whether you're a story like this, um, and I was able to give him the $1,000 and meet him and hear about his kids, and, and it was great, and continue that relationship. My point is, is I could have easily been like, that's just coincidence. That's just random data flying around. No, there is a beauty, and our hearts are drawn to it because God is the ultimate beauty. He's the ultimate beauty in the world, and he wants you to experience him, experience beauty in others, so that we can be like Saul, we can be like Antoine, we can have the scales come off our eyes, be captivated by beauty so that we can serve others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Um, God, we come before you today, and we, we close just pondering. I mean, I just think about the beauty of ourselves in this room just the many faces in this room, how we, next time we look someone in the eyes, would you slow us down to even just take in the beauty of another person, the beauty of the other, to see their face, to see their God-given image. God, would you Would you captivate us with your beauty? Would it transform us in prayer? Would it would we seek after you in the temple? Not just in in everything, but also like God, would you would you let us be moved by your sacrificial love this morning? Are you laying down your life for us? So in closing, practically, find God in the little things. Find God in, the, in people's faces. In your daily life, develop a habit of attention. Develop a habit of attention. Paying attention to people's faces, to their realities, their circumstances. And then maybe this morning, person you need to pay attention to is yourself. Maybe you struggle to find yourself beautiful. Maybe you have a hard time seeing beauty and God's imprint on your own life. What would it mean to radically accept the beauty that God's given you and accept yourself? To be ceased and captivated by the gifts God's given you and to see like Paul, he stops you in your tracks to wake you up, to see that there's so much more to life than just being in our condition, that your condition is not your conclusion. God wants your life to be a life of beauty.
for his glory and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.